Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Amen. Good morning and happy Easter. I'm excited to have everyone here to celebrate this event with us, an event that literally changed the course of history for all of time as Jesus is alive. My name is Matt. If you don't know me, I'm the pastor here at Sojourn Church, and we simply say we're a church that's inviting all people on a journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus. And so you might be here at your journey, or you might be here at your journey, or somewhere in between, or an up and a down, but we're glad that you're here. And I want you to know up front that I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Now, that shouldn't make you nervous because you don't have to respond, but we want to provide that opportunity for you because we believe that Jesus has actually come back to life, and literally, this changes everything. And so this changes everything for your life and for my life and for the world. And so our focal point today is going to be this truth that Jesus taught, that he would actually resurrect, that it wouldn't finish on, that that, yes, it was finished as far as I'm taking our sin on the cross, for those of you who are with us at our Good Friday service, But then three days later, he gets out of the grave, conquering sin and death. And so let me start out by recognizing we likely have a number of backgrounds here. We likely have a different number of different church experiences, or maybe no church experience at all. And so it's possible in the room, we might have some skeptics here. They're saying, I don't think so. (laughs) I'm not really sure about this. Or it's possible we have some who just don't believe this teaching at all, and therefore you think that people like me are a little bit crazy for actually believing it, and that's okay. You're welcome. We're glad that you're here. We welcome the skepticism. We welcome the uncertainty, because we've all been there at some point in our journey. We've all been where we weren't really sure about this, and it didn't quite make sense, and we thought we may even sounded foolish, especially if we were one of the first ones in our family to actually follow this belief. But we look forward to God moving in your life this morning because we believe that he is alive and well and that it's him who does the work. And so this morning, our story starts in the beginning. It's this idea of the fall. You may have heard of this. You may not be familiar with it at all, but it's in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And this is where sin and brokenness entered the world. But we were promised that one day, it's like it happened, they were promised almost immediately that one day that God would send Jesus to come and to actually take the penalty for the sin and brokenness into the world, the penalty that you and I deserved. And so Jesus came, he lived this perfect life, and he died this death that we looked at just on Friday night. But then he resurrected after three days, and that's what we get to celebrate this morning. Now, if you're in church regularly, hopefully you know this, at least at Sojourn, we say we celebrate this every single week. So every single week really is like a maybe dress rehearsal for Easter Sunday. But we know on Easter that, that the world is also watching a little bit more. The world's kind of leaning in a little bit more to say, what is this that's all about? And what is it that they are celebrating? And so the Bible teaches ever since the fall that every single one of us are born sinners. And so I say that not to make you feel bad. I say that to say we're all in the same boat this morning. That we, we all are on, there's an equal playing field. Now, if you look around at our world, look around at our country, look around at our own city of Portland, I don't think it would take much convincing you that things are not right. Something has gone terribly wrong. Just, I mean, get on next door. 
<laughs> okay? You're going to see it on next door. Or get on your, your buy nothing group or your Facebook, right? There's, something has gone terribly wrong. We don't have to look very far to see that. And that is a direct result of sin in the world. It's a direct result of the brokenness of humanity. But knowing this, even knowing this, God sent Jesus into the world to take our place because we had nothing to offer. We weren't able to offer and save ourselves. We weren't able to bear the weight of that penalty. And so something gone terribly wrong and only one man, Jesus, could do anything about it. I was having a conversation recently with someone and I have these conversations somewhat frequently. If you know me very well, you know I go in coffee shops a lot and I get to know the baristas and um, I'm just a, I'm a people person. I love people. And so we'll, we'll go from you serving me coffee to us going and getting coffee together. But I was having a conversation with somebody, and this wasn't the first time, and, and it, I always get really strange responses when I tell people what I do. You know, uh, people don't assume it, and they say, so what do, you, what do you do? And it's always that, like, do I make this really awkward, or do I just come out the gate and say it, or do I say I'm a teacher and let them figure out later what I mean? But if I just come out and say I'm a pastor, you get these really weird reactions from people. So I was having this conversation with this individual, and they said, they kind of stopped and looked at me and said, when did this make sense to you? When did that kind of aha moment for you where all of this wasn't crazy, but it actually made sense? You see, up until this point, this individual, like many around our city, here was the mentality. If believing in Jesus is what gets you through the day, that's good for you. We almost treat it like a lucky rabbit's foot. Now, I, I know that, that someone's going to be against me. I had rabbits that, that got killed recently myself, so I was sad about it. But when I was a kid, I had a lucky rabbit's foot. I don't know if it was real foot or not, but, you know, it's like, oh, I've got this. with so the magic genie of Aladdin, right? You kind of hold on to this. This is going to give me good luck. This is going to help me get through the day. So a lot of people, they kind of treat Jesus that way. And, like, that's, that's good for you. But don't impose that on me. Don't try to share this with me. If Jesus is that for you, that's fine for you, but I've got no interest. Now, here's the problem with that argument. Here's the problem with that thinking. Our faith in Jesus is based on things that Jesus actually did. And if he didn't do them, then the whole thing is useless. It's not like a lucky rabbit's foot. It's not you do you and I do me. It's that these are historical, verifiable facts. And so if he actually did them, then it changes everything about our life. If he didn't, then who cares about any of it? What are we even doing here this morning? And so we're going to look at this event that changed everything, that, that caused me in my life to no longer claim, deny the claims of Jesus, that caused me to no longer deny Jesus as, as the way, the truth, and the life. So if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be looking at probably what's a very familiar passage. If you Google resurrection passages, this is going to be the one that pops up, 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't own a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back if you want to grab it, or if you like one as a gift, we'd love to gift it to you, and the words will also be behind me on the screen. So 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8, and the Apostle Paul is the author of Corinthians. He was considered one of the greatest missionaries and church planters of all time, and what he's going to do this morning is he's going to tell us about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, which literally changed the course of history. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into our text this morning. God, we come here this morning, and we are in awe of you. The one who made a way, who stepped into our world, our mess, our life, to reconcile us to you. God, we had no other way, but you stepped in. 
God, as we, for those of us who were there Friday night, as we looked at this idea that this wasn't even a backup plan, that this was the plan. And God, you enacted this plan and you fulfilled this plan. And so this morning I ask that we would be reminded of that truth again. God, we're reminded that you have conquered sin, death, and the grave itself, and that that changes everything about our lives. God, I pray for the skeptic, the uncertain, the the ones who just really aren't sure this morning that you would make yourself real and speak to them. I pray for those of us who maybe are just on a journey of maybe we we were really confident at one time, we're not so sure any longer. And God, for those of us who are just here to celebrate and just need that fresh reminder again and again. God, this is your time. We want to honor you. Amen. So my, my first point this morning is the historicity of the gospel changes everything. Let me read verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Now I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul starts with the reminder of what he calls the gospel which is this good news that his original audience had received. And the thing about life, life is filled with bad news. Probably even this morning, some of you woke up and did what I frequently do. You pick up your phone and you scroll, right? And and you're like, oh man, this happened here. All this happened in the world. So life is filled with bad news. 15 seconds and you're going to see something that's, that's negative, that's bad. It's full of injustice. Life is full of war. It's full of in oppression. And so what Paul is reminding them is that in spite of that reality, in spite of these things, that good news has been delivered to you, that the gospel of Jesus himself, that Jesus stepped into that world, he stepped into that mess to identify with us. Think about it. A God who seemed distant, that's how some of us have viewed God for a long time, a God who seemed distant, who kind of seemed, let's just let it be chaotic, that wouldn't really be a God you'd want to worship. But a God who actually stepped into it and experienced it with us, who walked through the, the, the oppression, the injustice of what we are walking through. A God who can, who can sympathize with us, who's tempted and suffers every way that we do, yet is without sin. Jesus who came not to improve us, but to replace us. I think a lot of times, once again, I thought that for years. Jesus came to improve us. He wants to make me the better, best version of myself, right? This isn't a self-help religion. Jesus came to replace us altogether by dying on the cross for you. He completely removed you out of the picture. But he didn't stay dead. He resurrected three days later. And so this is the good news that Paul's proclaiming. And this is the good news that I proclaim to you today. But not in a way that's just information. I don't want us just to go, okay, cool, I got some information. But a news that actually changes your life. That should cause you to go, you know what? The last two years has been really, really hard. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of oppression. There's a lot of injustice. But because of the truth of Jesus' resurrection, I'm actually able to continue to walk through this pain and suffering. And so Paul, he references this message as saving us. You might say, well, what do I need to be saved from? Saving us from ourselves. I mean, once again, look at the news. Look at humanity. Look what we do to ourselves. Look what we do to one another. Saving us from our sin. Saving us from death and destruction. Saving us from immediate and eternal separation from God. Point number two, the empty tomb is a game changer. Okay, if you understand sports illustrations, like a game changer, right? Like they threw the Hail Mary pass 
or we were watching this, this basketball clip the other day with my son, and this guy was like almost at the other end of the court. It was way past half court, and he just lobbed it up, and he made it, and it was like game over. And so the empty tomb is a game changer. And what I mean by that is that Jesus died and was buried and stayed dead, like every other person I know who's died in, in the world, then that's a game changer to what we actually proclaim. But it's a game changer that there was a empty tomb. And so Paul gets to the point of his good news in verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. John Stott, he pointed out that Jesus, from Jesus' youth, he indeed, from even from his birth, there was the cross had cast its shadow on his life. This is what he was destined to come and to do, and that it was central to his mission. And so he died for our sins. He was buried, raised again on the third day. And so the big question for us this morning is if the resurrection is true, if this really happened, then what claim to Jesus can't be true? And that's what I want you to think through this morning. I think, I think a lot of us, we haven't necessarily thought through that. But if this actually happened, a lot of us aren't willing to do the hard work. We just kind of go, ah, nobody, nobody could actually do that. But if this actually did happen, would it not change everything? How we live, the decisions we make, what we do with our lives, it literally would change everything about us. And he says, in accordance with the scriptures, what he means by that is the Old Testament's full of these prophecies and these prophets, and they're constantly pointing towards one who will come. And it's pointing to Jesus coming. And that those prophecies, they weren't just fables. They were actually fulfillment of how God had planned it to be. And that we see in the Old Testament, there's just people waiting for this one who will come. There's waiting. And there's just 400 years of silence. And then the silence breaks through what we looked at at Christmas as Jesus enters the world. And then Jesus lived the life that he was designed to live, going to his destiny of the cross and then coming out of the grave. Which brings us to our third point. The diversity of eyewitnesses to the risen Christ changes everything. Verses 5 through 8. It says, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the, all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You see, the resurrection isn't a story that was just passed down from generation to generation that, that people continue to carry on without being verifiable evidence. And so what we see is that first, Jesus appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter. If you're part of Sojourn, you know we're going through the book of 1 Peter. So he appeared to this one individual. You might say, okay, maybe that was a dream. Well, then it says Jesus appeared to his 12 closest followers. Okay, so now we got, you know, it's growing, there's verifiable evidence. Then Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. 500 people at one time saw Jesus. Uh, that's probably like going to Ikea on the weekend and showing up and there's Jesus. Uh, then Jesus appeared to James and the apostles. And then Peter, or Paul said he also appeared to me. Did you guys catch that? People ate with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They did life with Jesus post-resurrection. And so this is not like imagine a flashback in the movies. Like, oh, I imagine that, you know, sometimes we'll wake up and say, I had this vivid dream that my grandfather and I were having breakfast together, right? We love those dreams, right? We're like, man, I almost felt like I was having this real conversation. That's not what this is like. Like, Jesus was actually back, and we don't have time to go into all this today. Like, yeah, were those who doubt it? Sure. Were there those who needed to stick their fingers through, his, through his, uh, the holes in his hands and the scars? Absolutely, there were. That this isn't even in this passage, but what's, what's really um, 
actually kind of um, telling as well is that the first people to go and, and, and really see the empty tomb were women, <laughs> right? Which, which we honor that today. We're like, yeah, women. But back then, like, that would have been like, well, you wouldn't write that into the story. You, women didn't have a voice back then. Right? Now we give, we give women a voice. And so even though like, just the facts and the way it was written, like, we, you wouldn't write it that way if it was a fable, if it was made up. That, that idea would have been thrown out. That would have been part of the script. And so we're left with a ton of circumstantial evidence. We're left with a ton of historical evidence for the resurrection actually happening. Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors and authors, he points out that nothing in history can be proven in a laboratory. However, the resurrection is a historical fact much more fully attested to than most other events of ancient history that we take for granted. So think about the, uh, what you're learning in history, what my kids are learning in history. Right? We, we've learned these things that happen, and we're going to want to go visit some of these sites and think, man, this is cool. And we'll just kind of take it for granted that it actually happened. But we have a lot less information on many of those events than what this event that actually took place, the event that, that many people want to deny actually happened. And even if you don't believe in the resurrection, once again, you're, you're, you're welcome. You're, I'm glad that you're here. But even if you don't believe in it, you should want to believe it. You should want to believe that this is true, and here's why. You likely care about the injustices happening in our world. You know why I know that? I've seen the signs in your yard. <laughs> you, you likely care about the social issues affecting our community. You likely care for the environment. I mean, Earth Day is coming up. Maybe it was, I think some people celebrated yesterday. Yet many people also believe that this material world just kind of came out of nothing, that it was an accident and it's headed for some type of destruction. And so my question is for you is, why would you sacrifice for the needs of others if in the end it makes no difference? Why should we care about injustices? Why should we care about social issues? Why should we care about the environment? Jesus, and Jesus alone, is one who really gives us the reasons to care for all of those things. It's great that our city wants to tout that they care for these things and that they put their signs out in their yard, but it has an end somewhere. And oftentimes it's an end of itself. You go into these meetings and you're like, man, there's all these contradictory things. They say this and then they want to do this and they're like, no, I don't want to do this now. And, but if you're following Jesus, there's a reason we care about injustices happening. Because all people are created in the image of God. There's, there's a reason that we care about social issues. Because of people being created in his image. There's a reason we care for the environment because God created the universe. And that we want to take care of it as stewards that he put over. And so in this life, if this is the best it gets, then why do I care about anything or anyone else? But... If the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, suddenly we have an infinite amount of hope and reason to pour ourselves out for the needs of others. That's why the church is the one organization, and technically in our U.S., we're a, a nonprofit, we're the one nonprofit that exists for the needs of its non-members. I tell our church this frequently. We don't exist for those in here. We exist for those out there because we want to come and pour ourselves out. The Son says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And that's why we exist as a church, to do that same thing. And so see, here we see Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which should cause those who are in Christ to praise him. And so this morning, if, if you man, I am a Christian like this. We are, we're, we're celebrating, right? Our team just won the championship again. We're excited about this, and we get to celebrate this. And so Paul says, how can some of you question this? If there is no resurrection, that means that Christ is dead and buried, period. And the logical implications, if he is dead, then what are we doing this morning? What are we doing? Filling up a tank full of water and setting up and, you know, we could be eating brunch and gravy right now. And that would be really, really good, but it would pale in comparison to Jesus coming out of the grave. But it actually happened. 
And so everything rises or falls on the resurrection. Some people say, well, how, does this, how did this become real to you? Why are you a Christ follower? Why did you decide this? It's, it's all based on that. And so I'm like, if I'm wrong about this event, then I've wasted a lot of my life. I've wasted a lot of my time. The resurrection is our ace of spades. That it gets thrown down on the table. It's like it's all over with the resurrection. As we all have a place at the table and it's like, man, we can't do anything about this. The reign of sin and death is now over. The reign of slavery to sin, that struggle you keep returning back to, it's now over and it has been paid for by Jesus in his resurrection. This is when the, the mic drops and Jesus walks off the stage. It's all done. And we proclaim as his church that it is finished. It is done to the world. Salvation has now come. Just prior to that, even on Saturday, Saturday is considered Holy Saturday. I like to call it Somber Saturday. On Friday night, I, got to, I had the opportunity to preach the Good Friday message with these churches, and they said, what's your title? And I said, the cross, Jesus dies. <laughs> and the other pastor laughed said, okay, never mind. But it's like, this is what happens. And then we go into Saturday, I'm like, I want us to sit in this like silence that took place with his original followers who had to be going, man, we, we must have missed it. We were following this guy. We left everything to go after him, and now he's dead. We just attended his funeral. And so we kind of, you kind of set in that a little bit. But then all of a sudden, Sunday hits, right? And it's like the women go, and they're going to go clean his body. It's like the tomb is empty. It's like this actually took place, that this actually happened. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of the gospel. The resurrection is the cornerstone of the message that we as Christians proclaim. If Jesus is dead, Christianity is dead. But if Jesus is alive, Christianity is alive. If there's no resurrection, then there's no Savior. He was just a good teacher, another Gandhi. If there's no resurrection, then there's no salvation. If there's no resurrection, then there's no forgiveness. If there's no resurrection, then there's no hope for the future. The resurrection of Christ is grounded in the truth of eyewitnesses. And then, yes, as a result, this changes everything. Eyewitness accounts, right? When you think about a crazy story you've heard at some point in your life, maybe even recently, and you're like, no way, no way. You're just embellishing the story. Then you talk to someone. Oh, you were there? Oh, yeah, I saw it. Then you talk to someone else. Oh, you were there? Yeah, I saw it. Then you're there. Then you're like, okay, I'll start to get verifiable evidence. That's what we see taking place here. He tells us later, we're not going to get into those verses, that, that, that we will also rise. There's been a lot of death over the last couple of years. Right? There's, a, there's a, a pandemic that came in that modern science didn't think was possible. I don't think in 2019, I know there's all the conspiracy, somebody knew about it, but most of us, right, we weren't planning for what was going to take place the next couple of years. And regardless of your views, regardless of how you approach it, there was a lot of death. I guarantee everybody in here lost a friend or a family member or someone they were close to because of COVID-19. We live in this world where death, yeah, we knew it happened, but it wasn't as present in our minds. All of a sudden, it became the forefront of our minds. I'm going to mask, double mask, I'm going to shot, I'm going to booster, I'm going to do all these things because we have this fear of death. And if there is no resurrection in Christ, then absolutely, we, we should fear death. We should fear what's going to happen to us. But that because Jesus rose, he says, but we are also going to rise in him. That he has made a way for hope in him. And so that, if anything, my hope is that that kind of helped laser focus the church. I'll just focus on those who are part of the church this morning. The church, because we kind of got off focus a little bit. 
Kind of like got out of balance, like our, our car. We got to take our, our wheels in, right? And God used that, I think, to help balance us back to, to focus on what really actually matters. And so we see that in our death, our imperishable body will also rise with Christ. And that this is hope. It tells us that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is, oh, oh death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That it no longer stings the same way for those that are in Christ. When I see, when I've been to, I was talking with somebody last Sunday. I said, I remember going to a funeral a number of years ago. And this was a mentor of mine who was a Christ follower. And so I had hope where he was. We don't mourn as those who don't have hope. It's much sadder when you go to a funeral for somebody and you have no idea what they believe. And to your knowledge that they didn't have that relationship with Christ. But those who do, you have this hope. In some ways, the older I get, the more I'm like, not, I don't want to be morbid that I want to die, but I'm like, man, that, that actually, they don't have to deal with all this now. And, and, and the beliefs that I actually have, like, it gets better. It's an upgrade. <laughs> oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And so Paul tells us also, if the resurrection were not true, then it's a waste of time, and that would be utter fools. Paul reminds him it's worth it because the resurrection is real. Paul's telling us, keep your focus on Jesus, the one that lived the life that you were designed to live, died the death that you deserved, and he rose again. And so Paul's saying, submit to Jesus. If you're able to hear my voice this morning, it's not too late. It's not too late. Jesus rose from the dead, and we have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of it? That's what changed it for me. The resurrection. As I studied the history of Scripture and, and looked at the verifiable evidence and realized that this event actually took place, that's when the light bulb turned on for me and realized that, that, that this is it. This is real. And then I, I served overseas in a context where I watched people who would get persecuted, who would get beat up, and sometimes would lose their life because of these beliefs. If you know much about Scripture and Jesus' early followers, it doesn't end well for most of them. Right? For, for 30, 40 years after Jesus died and then resurrected and eventually sent into heaven, like they're still out there proclaiming this. And so if they had made it up, do you think they would have gone through the torture and the pain? Like Would they have really gone through that and go, okay, I know we got beat up again. I know that John just got beheaded. Guys, should we go ahead and change the game plan? <laughs> no, this was true. And so they believed it with all their heart and they lived it out. Why would they do that if it hadn't actually happened? And so Paul says, if it didn't happen, then they would be crazy. And they would be. But if it actually happened, then it's worth it. We're, once again, we're in First Peter here at Sojourn, if you're with us on a weekly basis. And we're looking at this idea of being sojourners, exiles on earth. And that anything that we go through, even the last couple of years, and the injustices that we have to go through, and the suffering, that it's temporary. And that there is a better day coming. And so it, it, you may go through hell in this life, but it's going to be better on the other side. And we have hope of that because of the work of Jesus. N.T. Wright and I'm about to finish. He says, the message of the resurrection is that this world matters. That the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news of healing, justice, and love have won. If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it is only about me and finding a new dimension of my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our heart precisely because it isn't just about warming hearts. 
Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things, and that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. Take away Easter, and Karl Marx was probably right, to accuse Christianity of ignoring problems of the material world. Take it away, and Freud was probably right to say Christianity is wish fulfillment. Take away, and Nietzsche was probably right to say that it was for wimps. And so the resurrection is what we hold on to. We needed the resurrection to be verified by eyewitnesses. Ones who could testify to the empty tomb. Ones who could testify to the, the empty clothes. And as a result, our faith is founded on an event that occurred in space, it occurred in time, and it occurred in history. History is on our side. It really happened, and this changes everything. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to lead us through a time of response this morning. God, we thank you for you. You are holy and worthy of honor and praise and glory, week in and week out, day in and day out. But God, we do put this as a, a, a marker in our lives, a marker on our calendars where we get to come together and celebrate, literally with our brothers and sisters around the globe, your resurrection. God, I think about the, our brothers and sisters who celebrated it in India and China this morning. God, I think about our brothers and sisters um, in Ukraine and, and Russia. God, I think about our brothers and sisters on the East Coast. And God, I think about our city now and uh, your unified church as we celebrate this event. And God, now we want to respond as an act of worship to you. It's in your name, by your power, through your blood, Jesus. Amen. So I told you at the beginning I was going to give you an opportunity to respond to this message. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask three questions. The first question is to every single person in the room, regardless of your background, regardless of how, the mentality you came in with this morning. So it's just kind of a more of a broad rhetorical question for you to think through and to talk with God about. And that question is, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your heart? Let's get to the bottom of that this morning. Jesus promises new, new life. It's what he came to live, die, and rise again. The empty tomb not only means that he conquered death, although it definitely means that, but it tells you that his life is in your hands. It is, sorry, in his hands. This is the kind of life that we were designed to live long ago and that he made a way. So my second question, let me address those. I'll just call you the, the already Christ followers in the room. Those who walked in this morning going, yep, I'm a card-carrying member. I'm following Jesus, and I'm here to celebrate. In light of that truth, in light of this truth of, of Jesus actually resurrecting, how are you going to respond to it? I don't want us to just come in here just to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and, and not answer this question in our hearts and mind. If this is truth, it, it seems to require more than just that initial response. Well, you declare, as Jesus' earlier, early followers did, that, God, I'm not just going to believe this truth, but I'm actually going to confess this truth with my mouth and my life and the way that I live, that this changes everything. It changes my marriage, how I parent, my finances, how I live and conduct my life in the city where God's called me or in the state where God's called me, or in the, 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 the nation or country that God has called me to. It changes all those aspects because of this. 
And that brings me to my third question. I'll call you not yet believers, not yet Christ followers. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so I want to invite you this morning, if you've never confessed Christ with your mouth and believed in your heart that he is Lord and Savior of all, to do that. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you to respond, you can submit your life to Jesus today. We'd love nothing more than to walk you through that. And so when Ben comes up and leads us in so a couple songs of worship, I'm going to stand towards the back. And if you say, I just want to have a conversation, you might still say I'm a skeptic or I'm still uncertain or I'm ready. I don't know what the next part is. Let's have a conversation. I love nothing more than have that conversation with you today. If you're with us online, then you can email info at sojournpdx.org and we will get back to you today. We'll make sure and check that after the service this morning. And then after a couple of songs of worship, we're going to have a, another public display this morning as a response to Jesus and, and baptisms. And I'll come back up after, after a couple songs and I'll explain next steps for us. God, we thank you again for this message. God, now we want to offer uh, a worship to you, God, through song, through response, through reflection, through prayer. God, we ask that you move now. Speak to us in your name. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.